Hello and welcome to the Viva Alberta's podcast, episode 57. Once again, my name is John Fleming. I'm a writer at Viva Alberta's. As always, I'm joined by fellow writer slash editor at Viva Alberta's, Heather Simon. Hi, everyone. Hi, Heather. And, um, you know, obviously we'll get into talking about the Cardinals in, you know, a few minutes here, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start off by talking about what's certainly been the biggest story in baseball over the last several days, which is the tragic passing of Jose Fernandez, the 24-year-old pitcher for the Marlins who was killed on Sunday in a boating accident. And, you know, rather than just, you know, rehashing the details, I'm sure everybody who's listening knows what happened. And if they didn't, I'm sure that, you know, they're not going to have a hard time finding the details. But, um, Heather, just what's your, I guess, reaction to it? Because there's so much to take in as far as just the gravity of the story, as far as all of the aftermath of it. Uh, just what, I guess, are your thoughts on it? I guess I would have to start with how I viewed him as a player and as a person and why I, he was my favorite player. Honestly, um, I've been looking through kind of my old tweets that I've written about him. And I think there's some sort of, um, like permutation of me saying, I love Jose Fernandez at least six times in the past three years. And sometimes it's like a heart emoji. Sometimes it's just straight up I love Jose Fernandez. That's it. So he was, he was definitely my favorite player. Uh, it probably went between him and Carlos Martinez, but they're kind of similar. So, um, but he was my favorite. And the reason why I think it has to do with, I've been thinking about it a lot lately and I think it has to do with just how he, he was. It's hard to say. (laughs) It's hard to say was, but just, how he was as a person he had all these attributes that I just admired in a person and things that I really wanted for myself I I you know when I saw him I saw someone and this is even without knowing him I I could be just idolizing him in my head but I think he was one of those people that he he was genuine and you what you saw was what what you got so I don't think I'm too far off base. And a lot of people have said this too and come out and say this, but I think he was a brave person and um, I think he was a kind person. And I just think he made an effort to be kind and talk to everyone, which is, are things that I want for myself. And so that kind of resonated with with me when I saw that and when I watched him play, I know I've said like when there's someone um, during the game yells at you or, or tries to like throw a pitch at you or something like that. I just wish a player for, would for once just laugh in their face <laughs> because that the ridiculousness and that was something he would actually do. And, and I just love that about him that he he played baseball like it was a game and like it was the game it is and 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 on top of all that he was really good at it and so i just i just admired him and like 
just treasured him as a person and as a player. And so when I, when I, I turned on my phone and I just kind of like saw the, I said, saw a tweet. I think it was from sports illustrated is how I found out. I was talking to my sister about something that I don't really remember what we were talking about. It was unrelated, but I turned on my phone and I saw the tweet and it was, I think it was by sports illustrated that said that he had been killed in a boating accident. And I just went, Oh my God. And I first, I just was like, it can't be, it can't be, it can't be, it it can't be that Jose Fernandez. I know there is another one, but it just, it just is stunning is all it was. It's one of those things where it takes, it takes a while to actually hit you because you're just stunned. And that's how, kind of how I felt. And I immediately went into the living room and I turned on the TV and put it on because I was at my mom's house. So I was able to put it on ESPN and I just kind of watched. I just like became obsessed with reading more and I just couldn't, I couldn't stop. So that's kind of a long winded sort of reaction story, but I think it's important to get the context of why, why I don't, I don't know. And I don't know why it affects me so much, but it just does. It just it just does. Yeah, I've been thinking over the last couple of days a lot about sort of the fact that this has such an effect on people and thinking it in terms of, well, you know, as sad as it is, you know, thousands, millions of people die every day. Why is it that, you know, this man that, you know, while I enjoyed watching him play baseball and by all accounts seems like a wonderful guy, why does he stand out? And like for me, the reason is like I spend more time watching, you know, say the Cardinals than I do with anybody I know. Like it's part it's part of like my identity as a person. It's part of the identity of baseball fans that these players, even if you don't know them directly, even if you've never actually met them, it's impossible to pretend that they aren't a part of your life. And you know, thinking about Jose Fernandez, and I liked Jose Fernandez too. I don't know if I was quite as I guess invested in him as you were, but you know, I think it's hard to find somebody who didn't have a positive opinion of the guy. But it takes me back to the recent occasions where the Cardinals have lost a player, particularly with Daryl Kyle, because you know, while I remember where I was whenever Josh Hancock died, and of course when Oscar Tavares passed away, with Kyle, it was the first time I guess that I realized that this was the sort of thing that could happen. And like I knew in, in an academic sense that like Roberto Clemente and Thurman Munson had died before them, but it hadn't occurred to me that somebody that I, you know, had just been watching, I'd actually had attended Daryl Kyle's last start just a few days before his death. And just the idea that, you know, a few days after that he was gone just hadn't really even registered with me up until that point. And you know, I think every everybody has one of those moments, and certainly for people in Miami, that's going to be, especially younger fans, you know, this is going to be one of those moments that really affects them profoundly because, you know, there's really no way to go back once you've hit a point that you realize that you know, these players, as much as you might idolize and worship them, are human and 
you know, there's the possibility, sadly, of this kind of thing happening. Yeah, it it's it's kind of like this whenever whenever anyone really is taken far too soon, it makes you think about how suddenly the choices we make and they could just be normal everyday choices. Me getting up and going to work tomorrow could lead, you know, could be the last things that you do. And, and it's, it's almost like when tragedies like this happen, we try to find something, some, some sort of fault that the person made because then at least we can explain it. We can say that, well, they were doing this and that's why. And it makes us feel, I guess, in a sort of sixth sense better because as long as we don't do that, make that mistake, then we'll be fine. When in reality, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, it just does, it doesn't matter because it's, it's like, it's almost like whenever your whenever your time's up, it's up, and there's nothing that we can do to prevent that. And it's a terrifying thought that we don't have control over some things. And I think I don't know. I think that's the the that's sort of the hardest thing to grasp when something like this happens is that that's not always in our control. Yeah, it's kind of a cliche at this point to say with Fernandez in particular, but he was a player who was so full of life that it is hard to think about it in any other terms. And a lot of the clips that were being shared, a lot of the GIFs, GIFs, whatever you want to call them, that were being shared on Sunday in particular and you know up through today, and you see things like when he robs Troy Tulowitzki of the hit and you know all either of them can do is just smile back at each other about it. Or you see his reaction after he hits a home run against the Atlanta Braves and the Braves players start to confront him at home plate and like all he can do is smile about it. There's, and it was, there's such a genuineness to him and it wasn't just his on-field persona. It was the story of how he came to the United States after three failed attempts from Cuba. The fact that he ended up saving his mother's life from drowning on one of the attempts. And like, there was just nothing about him that you could possibly say a negative word about. And and you mentioned before that you know people will try to sort of rationalize it. People will ask, well, what was he doing on a boat? Things like that. But it doesn't matter. You know, in the end, it's the sort of thing that can happen. Unfortunately, it's unavoidable. And you know, sir, it's it's hard to process, I guess, because you know, as far as all major league players. Fernandez is the most successful one who's passed away, at least since Thurman Munson, and maybe even Clemente. Like, he was that good of a player. But there's also sort of the sense of me that wonders, like, does that matter? Like, are we... Like, why are we more concerned about Fernandez than we are, like, when Nick Adenhart died, for instance? And it's a complicated issue, but I think in the end I understand it, and it's because... As I mentioned before, Fernandez was a part of our lives. He was certainly the, the part of the lives of fans of the Miami Marlins in a way that you know it's going to be impossible to not notice that he's gone. And like for instance, next year the All Star Game is going to be in Miami, and I can promise you there will be 
tons of tributes to Fernandez at the game. And like yesterday, we're recording on Tuesday, on Monday they announced that they were going to retire the number 16. It's going to be the first uniform number that's going to be retired by the Marlins other than the 42 for Jackie Robinson. And like, like people are going to notice that he's gone. And like I don't have any children, but if I do have children someday, they're going to know who Jose Fernandez is. And it's just so strange to me that they're going to you know, know him as somebody who was gone too soon rather than somebody who's, you know, pitched for 20 years in the major leagues and was a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think that's kind of where it lies. When a player is just of that quality, you get to know them a little bit more because there's more attention on them. So their personality is more exposed. So that's part of it, I think, why we care we care so much. But also, the personality went with the player. It complemented it. it. You know, they complemented one another. Someone that that had that ability and was had that much fun. It just it just was a perfect. It was a perfect storm of greatness, and that's why he was so beloved, and why it hurts to think that uh, there's going to be there's going to be baseball without him. One thing that I remember thinking about not long after I'd heard the news was a, a player that really doesn't get mentioned quite as often when people are reciting players who have passed away in their playing careers. But I thought of Ken Hubbs, who was a middle infielder for the Cubs in the 1960s, who died, I believe he was 22 when he died in a plane crash, and he'd been an all-star, and he'd been an up-and-coming type of player for the Cubs, and I had never even heard of him until about a year ago. I had heard of him as sort of a anomaly as far as a player that got off to a really hot start and then you know, didn't have much production after that, and you know, obvious reasons there. But And I remember thinking, how sad is it that, you know, for me, I had never heard of him. And, like, my parents are slightly too young that they wouldn't have like they would have been alive for him but they wouldn't have been paying attention to baseball enough to have any sort of recollections of him and yet you know if my parents were slightly older they would know exactly who he was but for whatever reason his story like almost got lost to time and I really hope Fernandez isn't like that because it's not just the fact that he was a really good pitcher it's not just the fact that like he's a bona fide NL Cy Young candidate this year and it, it's not just, it wouldn't just be like a sympathy vote kind of thing. Like, he's a legitimate candidate. And the fact that, say, the Marlins are retiring his number, the fact that, like, who knows what other kind of tributes are going to come along the way, but I feel like, you know, in this new age of social media, it's not just hearsay. You know, with, with somebody like Ken Hubbs, you have some pictures, you have maybe some old broadcasts, you have his baseball reference page, and that's about all you have. But with Fernandez, you have just an endless supply of video, of interviews. And he's somebody that even though I've never met him, you've never met him, I'm guessing most, if not all, of the people listening to this haven't met him, it's like we knew him. And that's just what 21st century media is. It really has nothing to do with him. But, you know, in a larger sense, that's it's everything about him is what we know about him and what we're going to remember about him. The access to the players now is definitely a lot um, greater than, I guess, probably back then. 
And so with that access, we, you know, we can tweet them on social media. We can talk to them uh, in a sense. And so if it definitely feels like even if you haven't met someone that you can get a good scope of how they are as a person. And I think because of that, uh, I, I don't think he will suffer the fate, the same fate as, uh, as it Ken hubs. Yeah. Um, I don't think that will happen necessarily because I don't know. We still remember Roberto Clemente and even though Roberto Clemente had a very long career and, yeah. and, and it's a little bit different, but, but I just kind of put him on par with that, especially what he meant to, to Cuba and to the Cuban people in Miami and to just Miami in general. I mean, he, but it just seemed like he was everything to them. They talk about him, you know, Jose Day, they, they call him Joseito. People act like, you know, that's their, their son or their nephew or their grandson. And, and he, you could see, they could see him around Miami. And, and it's just, I just, at least in Miami, there's just no way that, that he, his presence fades. And how could it? with a presence like that. Yeah, and I guess if there's one takeaway, you know, from Fernandez is while you could certainly compare it to Oscar Taveras or Nick Aidenhart or one of these players who died very young and with so much not only playing time but also life ahead of them, you know, Fernandez does have a, a legacy. It's not simply this is somebody who wasn't able to you know, fulfill their promise. He was, for the last three years, one, not only one of the best pitchers in baseball, one of the most dynamic players in baseball. Like, this is not just some instance of a player dying and all of a sudden people, in retrospect, have, you know, warm and fuzzy feelings about him. This is a player that was beloved just across the board, though especially in Miami, especially with the Cuban-American population. And... And I just don't know what else to say about it because, you know, it's not going to be easy over the next, you know, weeks, months, years, decades to think about it because like, this is going to be one of those people that we think about for the rest of our lives. And my hope is that we're going to eventually think about him not for what wasn't, but for what was, sort of in the way that we think of Roberto Clemente. Like, we may know how Roberto Clemente died, but when we think of him, I, I don't think of a plane crash. I think of an outstanding player. I think about 3,000 career hits. I think about all the highlights and what players from Puerto Rico think of him and how much they revere him. And my guess is that Fernandez is going to be similar, which is an amazing thing to say about somebody that was 24, that he could have that much of an impact and that much of a legacy on baseball and on a community. It's just, it's just so heartbreaking because this is not how the story was supposed to go. Absolutely. And, you know, certainly this was not something, you know, 72 hours ago, I thought that we were going to be discussing on the Cardinals podcast, but it's really impossible not to because it's such, such an important story for baseball, and it's gonna it has such an important imprint on what's going to go on moving forward. That, and you know, I, I think back and I mentioned 
my reactions for Daryl Kyle and you know for people who are a little younger than me they there's might be Josh Hancock there's might be Oscar Tavares if they're you know not a fan of the Cardinals it might be somebody else but you know it's going to have an impact like every player is going to impact certain people in a different way and you know it's not that I'm I'm certainly not numb to it but it's not that you know the story is any less sad but there is a sense that you know it's happened before and sort of a sense of you know this is a thing that can happen and for people who you know are just coming of age now if you're like a 10 or 12 year old kid then this is just I can't even imagine because it's such an important you know to some degree iconic player that's gone now obviously we're going to you know eventually move on to discussing the Cardinals we're not this isn't going to be the entire episode just because there's really only so much to say but do you have any other I guess final thoughts on this topic before we move on you know I, I feel like I, I could just talk about Jose for a, a long time and it just it's it's hard to stop talking about him because it just seems like when you stop it that it really sinks in that there's not you know there's eventually eventually there's not going to be anything else to talk about with him because he's not making any more this is the final story and so it's it's hard it's hard <laughs> it is and you know, it's not going to be one of those things that we're going to just hit a certain point and it's going to click and it's like, oh, well, we're over it. It's going to be something that's going to, you know, persist for a long time. But, you know, in such a short period of time, we got so many memories. And, you know, you can think about what more there was to come, but what happened in that time was just so incredible that it's hard to scoff at that either. I'm just going to miss him. Yeah, I am as well. And and there's no easy transition away from that. But we're going to have to just sort of go on and continue talking about baseball, continue watching and appreciating baseball. And it's sort of a sappy thing to say, but I think that's what Jose Fernandez would want. And he was somebody who enjoyed baseball so clearly, so obviously. It was so clear watching him play that this wasn't just a job. This was something that he was passionate about. And I'm not even sure if it's necessarily that he was passionate about baseball, but just that he was passionate about life and just passionate about whatever it was he was doing. And again, there is no easy transition from what we've been discussing, but I guess we'll, we'll try the best we can here and just talk about the Cardinals, obviously. And as it stands right now, as of the moment of recording, they would currently be out as far as a playoff spot, but... They're only a game back at this point and only a game and a half back of the first wild card spot. So they're very much in the thick of it. And I kind of wanted to theorize who we would end up having on our Cardinals playoff roster if the Cardinals are to make it to the league division series. It seems almost like jinxing it, but at this point, if the Cardinals aren't thinking about it themselves, who they would have on the LDS roster, I'd be very disturbed and very concerned by that. So it, it seems only right that we can blindly speculate as well. Now, just a you know, quick rundown. Like any other roster it's a, other than September, it's a 25-man roster, and 
The only real structural difference is that typically the, the pitcher situation is different because you don't need five starters because you have off days in between every time that the home team switches sides. So it, it's not just looking at who would be on the Cardinals roster, but also with guys coming back from injuries, guys who are you know struggling down the stretch maybe or who have done well during trial periods in St. Louis. Could be some... Room for discussion there. Now, as far as catchers, I don't want to be too presumptuous. I'm guessing you probably have Yadi or Molina on the 25-man roster for the postseason, correct? Uh, yeah. You do? Okay. <laughs> that is a safe assumption. Yeah, and like, I feel like I have a relatively sour opinion on Molina compared to most Cardinals fans because most Cardinals fans have a very, very high opinion on Molina. But I, I can't go that crazy. Like he's clearly he's the starting catcher. Clearly he's gonna play every game he can during the playoffs. I, I guess the only possible discussion with catcher would be the backup catcher. And you have Carson Kelly, you have Brian Pena, you have you know whoever as far as an option there. Rosario, Who, Rosario you, Dawson. You have yeah Alberto Rosario. Oh, but that's what it is. Like Rosario Dawson, like the actress. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I, I can't. Maybe not her. I can't tell if you were joking there, but we're gonna assume you were just for uh, me not making fun of you, I guess. <laughs> okay, but I who, was, I was. But who would you pick as the catcher, other than Molina, obviously? Payne is a, I guess, a veteran catcher, but I like the idea of it being Carson Kelly. Actually, I think he provides a little bit more with the bat, and is a little bit better defensively probably than Pena. But maybe in the postseason you want that kind of light veteran presence that Pena brings. I mean, he's he's a pretty likable guy. <laughs> you saw from his his Twitter mishaps this morning, or yeah, Tuesday. This is Tuesday. He was hacked and and he was like, oh, I may have to um, I have to. Would deactivate my Twitter or whatever it was for a while until he can get it figured out, and he couldn't get it figured out. And then I think he finally did. And then now he, his Twitter bio is like, I am a great person, or is a great person and human being. <laughs> so I think he's a great person and human being. Maybe him. I don't know. That's a tough, that's a tough choice. Yeah, I think that with Pena, because he's been such an upbeat personality for the Cardinals, even in very limited playing time this year, you certainly want him around. But because Yadier Molina the last couple postseasons has gotten hurt in both of them, I think it just shows the need to make sure you have your best available talent available. Now, certainly if something happens with Molina where he's out for a long time, you can replace him on the postseason roster. But if he's going to be out for a day or something like that, you want to make sure you have the best player available to you. And you know, at this point, I don't necessarily have a ton of faith in either of them. Like As of this moment, Carson Kelly has a WRC plus of 20 where 100 is considered league average, and Brian Ping is at 19. Uh, and Kelly's defensive metrics are a little bit better, but it's really hard to go off of that. At this point, though, I think Carson Kelly's probably a little bit better. And at least based on usage, it seems like the Cardinals are more inclined to go with Kelly. So I think I would as well, though it would definitely be in the best interest of the Cardinals for Yadier Molina to you know, stay healthy if at all possible because it's a pretty substantial downgrade, just as it was the last couple postseasons where it was Tony Cruz or AJ Przinsky that you'd be counting on. 
I'm not really wanting to see Kelly or Pena play, hopefully at all, but certainly not a lot. I mean, I guess the one upside would be if they play a lot, it means the Cardinals, you know, at least made the LDS. But you know, <laughs> if, if we're assuming that, I think Kelly's probably the way to go. But I'm not going to lose too much sleep if they go over the if they go for the veteran presence instead. Now, as far as the infield, I mean, I was going to sort of break this down, I guess, position by position, but it's been such a fluid situation as far as who plays first, who plays second, who plays third, who plays shortstop, and it's a little bit hard to define. There's you know, certain players that definitely are going to make it. Matt Carpenter, despite the fact that he's had struggles lately, you know, you would think that unless they decide that he's badly injured again, is going to make the roster. Aledmus Diaz, after coming back from injury, is... He's in the lineup tonight, and presumably, barring some sort of reaggravation, will be on the roster as well. But what would you do as far as you know the many options available? As far as like guys who could play middle infield, you have Colton Wong, Jed Jerko, Greg Garcia, Johnny Peralta. Even like, do you take all of those guys? You take some of them. How do you, I guess, balance the team? I think. You have to take Jed Jerko, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of a given. And I think Colton Wong should be a given, too. I don't know if, if that's um, necessarily how the Cardinals think, but I think Colton Wong needs to be on that roster. And I, I guess then it – I mean, I probably would actually take all of them really because I, I think that leaves first base open for Matt Carpenter um, and then you ha- could have Colton Wong at second and then Jerko at third and Diaz at shortstop and then you would have um, Peralta on your bench along with uh, Greg Garcia so I think I would probably take all of them with the knowledge that Holiday will be out, which slides Brandon Moss to left field and Carpenter to first, if that makes sense. I understand that, and I would agree as far as that all of the guys should be on the roster, because this is one of those situations where a lot of times we have these sort of baseball discussions and arguments where we're making bold proclamations on a player, like, oh, I believe Colton Wong is you know, the second baseman for the next decade or something like that, and in this case, it's do I think he's one of the 25 best players available to the Cardinals? And in this case, I do. And I think that's the case with all the players we mentioned. And Johnny Peralta certainly had his struggles lately. And I think that a lot of that is caused by the fact that he keeps playing a lot. But hopefully if everybody's rested, you know, come playoff time, once everybody's back in the swing of things, he would just he would be a bench back. Because I think he could be effective as one. I don't think this is a situation where Johnny Peralta is completely done for. I don't think he's going to be his 2014 form ever again. I think that his defense has certainly declined quite a bit, and I'm not sure if he quite has that power, but he can still be a useful piece. I think the one other infielder that we haven't really mentioned that would be a major candidate would be Matt Adams, who he wasn't on the postseason roster last year, but I think people tend to underestimate how good of a hitter Matt Adams is. Like, he's not you know, Anthony Rizzo or Paul Goldschmidt at first base or Joey Votto, but he is still an above average major league hitter, as most first basemen are granted. But if you could have, say, Matt Adams and 
Johnny Peralta as pinch hitters off the bench, one from the left side, one from the right side, and that's a bench that's a good threat. Bench. Yeah, that's that's a threat that most teams don't have. And I'm not even sure necessarily that I wouldn't at least consider Matt Adams starting some games against righties because at that point you wonder right. who to take off. But I'm not so sure because Jed Jerko's been in a bit of a slide lately. And like you could play him at third base, but at this point, like Colton Wong and Lemus Diaz would make by far the best defensive middle infield that the Cardinals could possibly play. Like it's not an elite defensive middle infield by any means, but you have Colton Wong who's flashed, you know, pretty good defense at second. He has those occasional frustrating Colton Wong mishaps every once in a while, but generally speaking has pretty <laughs> good range and has been a pretty good player for the Cardinals defensively. And, and on the base paths. Yeah. Which they could sorely use to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when does Colton Wong ever let anybody down in a base running contest All in right. the postseason? I, I had to say it. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. They were probably going to lose that game anyway, whatever. Okay. I mean, really. I mean, everyone was all mad. I think, no, I wasn't at that game. That was one in Boston. I was at the obstruction call game. Okay. But everyone was complaining about it. And I'm like, um, they were probably going to lose that anyway. Hate to break it to you, but. <laughs> but, re- but regardless of that one error from three years ago, Colton Wong, I think, is should be a shoe in for this roster. I think he will be. I'm not sure really who else, you know, infield-wise all... you could pick. It all depends if Matt Carpenter can play third base anymore. Like, I think he can play third base, but he hasn't really played it since they moved him over to second and first. It's almost like, you know, now he's he's not a third baseman anymore, so he can't play there anymore, right? Or am I wrong about that? Like, has he played third base, and I just don't remember. He's played some third, I believe, but certainly has played it less. And it is strange that you would have a player that you would move over to first base you know, partially for need, but partially because his defense hasn't been quite as good this year at third base. But the, so moving to first base is a natural and logical transition. But moving into second seems strange because second base fields more balls that are difficult to field than third base. But it's weird. <laughs> it is so weird. I guess that's okay if if Matt Adams starts as long as Carpenter goes to third and not second. Yeah, I agree because with that. That would be my concern is if we're starting Matt Adams, which I have no problem with um, against um, right-handers. But if that puts Colton Wong on, like out on the bench, then that's not really ideal either. I, I What I really want is definitely um, Wong and Diaz at second short. And then fill in Carpenter somewhere, third or first, depending on if you want Jerko or Peralta or Matt Adams to start. And my philosophy on Matt Carpenter playing second base is kind of like my philosophy on Jed Jerko playing shortstop, which is it's okay if you have the people around it to justify it. Like if the Cardinals had Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant as their first and third baseman, then sure, you can play Matt Carpenter at second base. So you can keep his bat in the lineup while keeping these other premium bats in the lineup. And while I think Matt Adams and Johnny Peralta's declines offensively have been a bit exaggerated, I don't think they're such great threats at the plate that I would screw up the entire defense to accommodate them. 
Mm-hmm. And like Wong and, and as I said before, Wong and Diaz, it's not like you have, you know, Anderson Simmons out there. It's not like you have Ozzy Smith in his prime out there. You have, you know, Diaz who like it, it's hard to know how, exactly how to evaluate his defense, but I definitely don't think it's elite. But it, it's serviceable and it's certainly better than what Jed Jerko has been playing at shortstop recently. But yeah, I think that's the right move. Whether that happens, who knows? Like, hopefully, we get to the point where we're able to complain about Mike Matheny's infield construction because it would mean that they at least made it to the NLDS, mm-hmm. which would just be just incredible because they'd be against the Cubs again. And I feel like last year there was sort of this sense of dread among a lot of Cardinals fans of if we lose to the Cubs, we're never going to hear the end of it. And for the most part, we have not heard the end of it, but. <laughs> if the but co- I, the dread also came from the fact that I, I think we all kind of felt like they were going to lose to the Cubs. I, I talked a big game, but the Cardinals really seemed to limp into those playoffs after a tough, like a brutal season injury-wise, and just kind of a brutal season in general coming off of kind of a brutal off season. So there was just this collective dread that, oh, great, we have to play the Cubs, who are, you know, and, like, we're lumping in on crutches into this series, and, and we're playing the Cubs, and it, 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 who are, like, an upstart kind of team, and it just didn't feel, it felt like it wasn't going to go in the Cardinals' favor. So <laughs> I think that had a lot to do with it, too. At least for me, I just had this bad feeling. Yeah, there was definitely a sense last year that the wheels were starting to fall off on the Cardinals because they'd had such an accumulation of injuries. They'd won 100 games, but there was a sense, I think a justified sense, that they had stumbled into a lot of luck to get to that level of success. But And then this year, though, they're really playing with house money. Like, there's no, like, There's nobody who's going to pick the Cardinals to beat the Cubs. Maybe Craig when it comes to doing the series preview, but that's a different story. <laughs> but... When it comes down to it, <laughs> nobody's going... He says should, not will. Uh, true. Should is like a suggestion. That's what people don't understand. Like, they get all mad, like, we're saying that the, they're going to destroy the Cubs or the Reds or whoever, when that's not the meaning of the word should. It's more like, you know what, the Cardinals should destroy the Cubs, as in, like, they should, as in... That would be a good idea. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like saying I should clean my apartment. I might not, but it would be a good idea. It would be yes, a, a good decision. It's necessary. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessary. But... It's pretty necessary at this point, but that's a totally unrelated <laughs> matter. But at this point, though, the Cardinals are so far back, the Cubs are so clearly worse than the Cubs that it would just be so hilarious if they could beat them in a five-game series. And they could. Anybody can beat anybody in a five-game series. Well, and they've played the Cubs tough this year, too, as far as the head-to-head record goes. Um, And then even with the losses, some of those have been some pretty tight losses. I know people were pretty disappointed in the game on Sunday night, but that was a tight game. I mean, really, it... It didn't seem like it there at the end. It kind of seemed like the, Car- like the Cardinals got their, their butts kicked, but they didn't. That was neck and neck for several innings. So, I don't know. I I wouldn't I wouldn't be so sure either way. That, that series could go a medley of, 
of, of ways. Well, really not a medley because there's only two ways it could go, but, <laughs> but it, you know. Well, it's definitely not going to go all of those ways in at once. It's going to go one way. One way or the other. Yeah. That's how baseball works. But, you know, there's a lot of things that could happen in the middle of that series. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we, we mentioned... Now, we mentioned a little bit when we were talking about the infielders of Brandon Moss that he's somebody who can play first base, but he's also somebody that, especially if Matt Holliday's out, could be expected as far as outfielders. And, like, on my roster, for instance, I have four outfielders if we're going to count Brandon Moss as one, which might be a little bit less than some people would have on theirs, but I would have Brandon Moss, I'd have Randall Gritchick, I'd have Stephen Piscotti. And then as far as, like, a fourth outfielder type, I'd have Tommy Pham. And, mm-hmm. like, while I can see the possible use of, like, Jeremy Hazelbaker on the roster, I think that most of what he can do can be fulfilled by somebody else. If you have somebody, if you want somebody to Tommy be... Tommy Pham. Yeah, I mean, it would be Tommy Pham as far as his, you know, some... Defensive modic- base running. Yeah, some modicum of speed and base running. I think some people tend to especially with Pham, kind of overrate his defense and speed. Like, he's good at it, but he's not, you know, Peter I mean, he's as good as Hazelbaker, yeah. though. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, that that's what I mean. Like, you don't – Hazelbaker's kind of redundant in that he's hes left-handed, which I'm sure you were getting ready to say this before I interrupted you, but I'm going to – You steal my thunder. I'm going to man-interrupt you. Um, <laughs> but uh, he um, – He's a little bit redundant because he's left-handed, and you already have Matt Adams possibly on the bench or Brandon Moss possibly on the bench or in the game. You don't really need another left-handed person or outfielder or bench player um, because you also have Greg Garcia who's left-handed. So you don't the, he's redundant being left-handed, and I think that if, if that's the only really strike he has against him because besides that, he's kind of a toss-up with fam. Uh, you know, as far as defense and base running, they're about equal, I would say. I don't know. He's supposed to be really fast. So I don't know who's faster, Bam or, or Hazelbaker, or who's a better base runner. But I think that everything he can do can be, like you said, fulfilled by another player. And if he was right-handed, it would be a little bit harder of a decision because you, then you'd have to think about it a little more. But because he's left-handed, I think you have to go with the right-handed Hitter. Yeah, I think this is one of those situations in comparing the two where there's not really one area where I think Tommy Pham's overwhelmingly better than Jeremy Hazelbaker, but there's also not an area where I think Hazelbaker's really even a little bit better than Pham. I think Pham's a little bit better just at everything. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, like you could have both of them, but at that point, what are you really going to do with Hazelbaker? At that point, you're really just burying him on the bench. And, yeah, you could have him pinch hit, but you already have, as you mentioned, Matt Adams. You have, you know, even, like, Johnny Corralti is a righty, but he's somebody that it's not like he hasn't hit righties in the past. And right. At that point, Hazel And those Baker, are all better hitters than Hazel Baker, too. Yeah. And Hazel Baker, he's had a good year, and I don't want to try to discard him too much, but I'm not a believer in Hazel Baker to the extent that I would put him on the postseason roster. I mean, and if the Cardinals do, I probably wouldn't throw a fit or anything but that probably wouldn't be my decision either i would probably go fam yeah i'm not really mostly because of handedness yeah i'm not really sure that there's a lot of players that are really realistic candidates for the postseason roster that were that i would be that outraged about it there's a lot of players that have you know strong cases for or against and 
But okay, so as far as outfielders, I mentioned I'd have Moss, Gritchick, Biscotti, and Fandy. Any any disagreements there? Anybody else? You want to try to make a case for Jose Martinez or anything like that, or we gonna just go with Jose Martinez put up a pretty good fight against Chapman though. Yeah, he's had a a couple of good at bats, but I think at this point I'm not even sure if he's eligible. But regardless, I would not. <laughs> I think no, I would, probably wouldn't. Yeah, that'd be a little but, cutesy. <laughs> that would. I mean, if they if they if they did that, I would be genuinely shocked. Yeah, that would be very confusing. But, yes. Okay. Now it's time. I don't to, think they will. Now it's time to get into the real controversy, which is the pitching, and we've <laughs> we've talked oh, endlessly on so many episodes, and by so many, I mean we've had like seven of these, but on several <laughs> of those episodes talked about who we'd have as our starter in the wild card game. And in this case, it may end up being a play-in game to the wild card game. But like, regardless, as far as my starters, you'd only need four of them. And the guys I would go with would end up just being the four starters I'm most comfortable with, just one, two, three, four. Not any kind of configurations to get certain teams, anything like that you have to play for that day. But how would you line up the starters? Like, who would be your... I mean, you can have more than four guys if you want, but presumably four guys out, out you know, to start. I think that, um, well, you're going to have to probably have Martinez pitch the wild card game if they make it. Um, so it would be Martinez, Wainwright... And it gets a little tricky uh, Reyes. Yeah, I was trying to remember. Reyes and then Leak. So if Martinez pitched the play-in game, I guess it would go for if they made it to the LDS. Or, yeah, LDS. I was trying to think if that was the right thing. Yes, um, it would probably go Wainwright, Reyes, Martinez, Leak. Right? Doesn't that work out? It has yeah. to be Leak because who – Based on what happened, I didn't watch last night's game. I was watching the Marlins game instead. But based on the just, I don't even know what to describe happened last night. I don't think that Waka surplants Leak, and I don't think Weaver surplanted Leak, and I don't think Jaime Garcia did either. So I think Leak has got to be your fourth starter and maybe you win in three and then you don't have to worry about it that would be nice but that's got to be it yeah the, the way I, answer the way i would actually line up the rotation i'd have martinez pitch you know the first game you have to pitch i might have wainwright as the number two i would actually have mike leak as the number three just because like i think he and wainwright are kind of in a similar boat at this point you know wainwright's certainly better historically and has been better recently but with Mike Leake, I think you have a player that, especially if you're going to go with Wong and Diaz up the middle, is going to give more defensive support to a guy that doesn't really strike out a lot of players and induces a lot of ground balls. And that's really the kind of defensive alignment you want around him. It won't be like on last Friday, I believe it was, whenever Leake was starting and you had Jed Jerko at short and Matt Carpenter at second, and you're really just asking for trouble. And the I guess the one residual thing is I'm going to have Alex Reyes as my number four. And if you have Alex Reyes as the number four, you could still pitch him as a reliever in the wild card game. Because you, you wouldn't need him until... Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I'd would, do that too then, I think. Yeah, you, <laughs> you wouldn't need him until game four of the NLDS at that point. You've convinced me. 
That was that was a very easy convincing. All right. <laughs> I guess I'm just so persuasive. All right. Yeah, awesome. that was you convinced me. I actually didn't even I didn't really have a lot of forethought into what I said. Well, <laughs> Believe I, it or not, I just was kind of going with my the in order of the ones that I feel the most confident in, and that was the order. But I I agree with most of well, all of what you said pretty much. Yeah, I think Martinez is. You know, clearly the one at this point that I have the most confidence in. And then other than that, like Wainwright, like I think Leak probably has the highest floor of the pitchers other than Martinez, but I think he certainly also has the lowest ceiling. Hopefully the offense can get back to what it was doing early in the season, in, that, in which case if you have Mike Leak go out there, throw six innings, allow three or four runs, that would be enough. But you can't necessarily right. bank on Team that. Team can just sock a few dingers. Yeah, I don't know why they quit doing that. The whole hitting a lot of home run strategy seemed to be going well for the Cardinals, and for whatever reason, they stopped, and I don't know why. Do you think the weather has anything to do with that? It getting colder? That's always been a theory that people have said. It's about, it doesn't really as, make a lot of sense, does it? <laughs> well, it's not like other teams aren't hitting home runs, though. Like, the Cardinals especially are hitting fewer. Like, other teams may be hitting fewer, but it's not It's been really humid here. I don't know. Yeah. But regardless, though, you know, they should probably hit them so hard that no amount of weather is going to keep it out of the park. I concur. Or keep it in the park, I should say. <laughs> I said completely the opposite of what I wanted to say. Okay, now, now on my roster, I know I, I have eight names left over as far as pitchers. A lot of postseason rosters only go with 11 pitchers. I went with 12 on mine just because I'm not really sure who else to add as far as position players. Like At this point, you're looking at Hazel Baker. You're looking at somebody like that or having three catchers. And I just it seems like the extra position player wouldn't actually have any sort of role on the team. And an extra pitcher you can always use, if nothing else, to... You know, eat innings if one of the early games gets out of hand quickly and you just want to make sure you're able to preserve the big guns for down the road. Of course, you have the, uh, the, the 25th person on the roster, which is the Shelby Miller Memorial <laughs> um, like bench warmer spot. What did, what did we start calling it that? I can't remember the exact term we used. Well, Shelby Miller was definitely the archetype of that, though. If I recall correctly, Edward Mojica didn't exactly pitch a lot in that postseason either. And then in 2014, that, in 2014 it was going. That's true. Yeah, in 2014, it was going to be Michael Waka, and then I'm not sure if you heard this, but Michael Waka came into uh, NLCS Game Five. The I heard a rumor that that had happened. Fairly underreported part of Cardinals uh, lore, I guess you could say. <laughs> I just like. I was talking about that the other day because um, someone was asking me what I thought about Matheny. And I'm like, I wouldn't mind Matheny, honestly. But I can never forgive him for game, was it game five? It was game five, Game, yeah. game five of, yeah, I, I guess I game five at the time and went with it. But uh, I want to check and make sure on here since people will will know. But it's like game five of the 2014 NL, NL, uh, NLCS. And they're like, when he put Michael Walker in, I was like, yes! And they like knew exactly what I was talking about. Even like not baseball people <laughs> knew. Like they know. That's how bad that decision was. Like everyone, no one but Mike Matheny does that. Yeah, that, and of course, that... the one person that had the like authority to make that decision 
is the one that would, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's a tough one to forgive. But regardless, you know, Michael Waka, among many others, a candidate for the bullpen this year. As far as relievers, there's not really that many players in the bullpen that I consider just super reliable. I think Sungwon Oh is really goes without saying that he would be in the bullpen. And Matt Bowman certainly has been... Zach Duke. Yeah, one of the better pitchers. Like, O, Bowman, and Duke, to me, are very obvious Segris. candidates. And Segris is... Well. Kevin Segris has had some struggles, but, you know, once I, looked past, once I looked back on who I put on my roster, there wasn't really anybody that I was dying to put ahead of Segris. And, like, he's going to get it anyway, so there's not really any reason to fight it on a theoretical perspective. <laughs> you want to take a guess who my so other now four here's, are? This is the tough part. Oh, you want me to guess? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Let me think here. Can I eliminate some? Like, you probably don't have Jonathan Broxton on your roster, or do you? Broxton actually was a tough one for me. He it was between him and somebody else for the 25th spot. I ended up going with Broxton because he's been pitching a little bit better lately, and he had a really a disastrous August and some bad luck in July. But other than that, hasn't been quite as bad, and... I think there's a lot of Cardinal fan resentment towards Broxton because he got a two-year contract rather than <laughs> just giving Steve Ciszek the arbitration offer, and I think that was a bad move. But and we they they cha- they traded uh, Bear Bearclaw Bearclaw, Bearclaw who was yeah. doing very good in Miami for Ciszek Ciszek, and uh, then didn't keep Ciszek around. So uh, anyway, but yeah, okay. So Broxton, that that's the one of them. Um, let's see. Do you have Rosenthal? It was between Broxton and Rosenthal. At this point, I'm... Oh, you left Rosenthal off. Okay. Like, I can rationalize putting Rosenthal on, but at this point, I'm just not sure when... Unless he proves something in the next few days, which he very well might, because he's been a terrific reliever in the past. But at this point, I'm just not sure what role he would have. And he seems like a player that would really be doomed to having the honorary Shelby Miller, Michael Waka, whoever role on the team of just kind of (laughs) being there and not actually pitching. Do you have Jaime Garcia in the bullpen? I do have Jaime Garcia in the bullpen. And this is a drum that I've been beating for the last couple weeks. And I'm really not even sure why I feel so passionately about this, but there's, there's always been this perception that Garcia can't be a reliever that for some reason, like it doesn't exist with Carlos Martinez but it exists with Garcia, and he's pitched well in relief performances. And you know, granted, it's in like two or three relief performances, but I've yet to see any reason why he couldn't be a guy in the bullpen. I certainly wouldn't have him closing or anything like that. But you know, if nothing else, as sort of a desperation long man, I think he could have at least some sort of value. And, and if he could get lefties out if you really needed yeah. someone to get a lefty out probably at that point you and, have yeah like you have duke or Segris, so it's not nest like super important but it's i think he has more flexibility I, than rosenthal i think rosenthal you're really just looking at him at this point unless he proves something otherwise as like a mop-up type of guy so do you have weaver i do have luke weaver and the one question i have i guess about weaver is how he's going to overcome the fact that he's you know, had a couple of very bad starts, but he also had moments in those starts where he pitched pretty well, especially early on. And this doesn't mean I'm relegating him to the bullpen forever, but for now it's not like the option is put him in the major league bullpen or send him back to Memphis to work on starting. At this point, there is no Memphis season. So 
you just get the most use of them as you can. And so that leaves one more. And is it Waka? It is not Waka. Okay. I'm not even 100% positive this guy's even like eligible because there's always a gray area Kirk, as far as eligibility. Keegan. Dean Keefer. Yeah. Okay, my goal the rest of this episode is make you say Dean Keefer and Steve Ciszek as much as we possibly can, but <laughs> neither one is on the playoff roster that I have now. Byers? But, no, I so would. Byers? I'd go with Miguel Sokolovic. Oh, I forgot about him. Okay, yeah, that's that's. And like that he's seems one of, okay. And like he's one of those guys. He's an older guy, and he's not necessarily an exciting player, but he's been effective when he's pitched, and I could see him becoming like a sixth inning kind of guy in the postseason, and. Yeah, I, I mean, at this point, the choices would be between him or somebody like Waka or Rosenthal, where I would have no idea what I'm getting. And I'm already right. going. And I'm already going with Jaime Garcia on the roster. I'm already going with Luke Weaver in sort of a different role for him. And at that point, I kind of want somebody that's going to be a safer pick. And I think that Sokolovich would be that. I have, any... I have no idea who I would pick. That's why I didn't say anything, because <laughs> that's of... just one play on the fence here. those things i have no idea i'm not yeah i'm not um confident enough to put any sort of opinion out there to be critiqued <laughs> because i would not be able to back it up i'm very pers- very persuadable in this so i'm just gonna say exactly what you said <laughs> all right sounds like we've covered all the bases to go with a terrible pun and <laughs> Yeah, you get it. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much how it goes, and certainly we'll see in the next week or so how things play out. Hopefully there's no injuries or anything that would preclude any of these players from making the roster, and hopefully there's plenty of cardinal success to make this roster more necessary going forward. Uh, do you have anything else you wanted to add as far as things you're looking for in the next week or so? Or I think the Cardinals should destroy the Reds and also destroy the Pirates. Yeah, this is, again, very good advice. I think you know Craig's really been on, he's been a leader in the field of Cardinals should destroy their opponents for quite some time now. And I think it's about time they start listening to him. Like they do every once yes. in a while, but... Like last night's performance where they lost was it 15 to two I think it was against a pitcher that I'd legitimately never heard of <laughs> was not was not my idea of destroying them, but yeah, hopefully they're able to jump back on that bandwagon. What do you think of um? There was about what like 32,000 fans or something, and there was a lot of um. What did Bernie Miklas call this morning? Pearl clutching. <laughs> about the fact that it was less than 40,000 fans for the first time, like 280 games or something like that. Is that any concern? Or are you just like me where it's like, it's, you know, a Monday on a school night and it, you know, the team hasn't really played super great at home. So I don't think we should look too far into it, especially with the Reds not being a very exciting opponent either yeah i'm not really too concerned about the attendance like i i looked briefly at the ticket prices for the game yesterday and for the game tonight even and like when it came down to it like i'm going to at least two possibly three of the games against the pirates this coming weekend and i really don't want to you know go to that many games in a week don't get tired of it i guess and Mm -hmm. also like after what st louis has been through with the whole rams thing the last thing i'm going to do is start getting mad at fans for the way they give their money to billionaires (laughs) if fans don't want to go to a game they don't have to and it seems like a very strange thing to 
shame them for not being charitable towards people that absolutely do not need your charity. Like, if you want to go to a game, by all means, go enjoy yourselves, but don't do it because you feel like you're doing it for the greater good, because <laughs> you're doing it for a for-profit business, and that's really all there is to it. And if it's something, if it's right. something you want to patronize, then do it. But if it's not something you want to patronize, there's no rule saying you have to. Okay. Get a, an Eckstein bobblehead. I think that's on the last game of the season. The Eckstein bobblehead Third is Saturday. Eckstein bobblehead. <gasps> it's Saturday. <sighs> okay. I was very excited about this. All right. Um, we probably have to get this wrapped up. But uh, do you have any other uh, any thoughts? Anything you want to plug? Any advertisements or? Uh, no, uh, just, just that you, if you want to you can fo- uh, follow me on Twitter, L I L underscore scooter 93. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like your plug for yourself. You're just getting more and more bashful as time goes on. It's just like, if you want to, you can, you're alive. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> by now it's like, I don't know. I'm yeah. not a great like Twitter follow. But I'm, I'm going to start plugging random like friends of mine's accounts and stuff in this segment, but we'll, we'll start with that next episode. But okay. uh, for now you can follow me on Twitter at John JF one, two, five, follow V Alberto's at V Alberto's go to V Follow us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever. I don't even know how to subscribe on Stitcher, but I assume some people do it. I don't and even know what Stitcher is, to be honest. Everyone says it all the time, and I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. It's the one that's not iTunes. Yeah, it means nothing to me. Hopefully that doesn't get us pulled off of Stitcher. But, yeah, go ahead and uh, rate <laughs> Sorry, and re- Stitcher. Yeah, rate and review, do all that good stuff. And, yeah, I think that's about all there is to it. And as far as our schedule going forward, it, it really is going to depend on if the Cardinals make the postseason. If they have a wild card game to look forward to, we'll probably try to put something out you know, somewhat quickly just to make sure we get it in before the game. If we end up missing the postseason, we'll still do an episode next week, but it'll be on a more subdued basis, I guess you could say. And I personally hope that we are rushing around like crazy a week from now to make sure we get something in order. Yes, me too. All right. Uh, Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you, Heather, for being part of this episode. We kind of went two very different directions with the subject matter. I feel like the first part was you know, a good tribute to Jose Fernandez's life. And I feel like, you know, jumping back in, talking about baseball, joking around, laughing was a good tribute to his essence. That's all I have to say about that. So thank you for listening and have a good time until we talk again. Over the weekend, I was visiting with my family and my dad was talking about how he listens to the show and he enjoys it and all that. But he was saying that he thinks we agree too much. And I think this oh. is, I think this episode is really going to sit poorly with him because we disagree <laughs> on absolutely everything. It's because I was ill prepared per usual. Oh well. <laughs>